This is your host, Casey DeShock. Alaska Conversations is supported by a community of Alaskans dedicated to our state. If you'd like to view more information about the show, you can find us at alaskaconversations.com. There, you'll be able to find this podcast as well as our show archive. The website is another place to find information and data concerning the topics we discuss, events, upcoming guests, and more about Alaska Conversations. If you have a question, comment, topic recommendation, or a suggested guest, you can email contact at alaskaconversations.com. This is episode four. My guest today is Professor Doug Reynolds. He earned his PhD in economics from the University of New Mexico. He has been a professor of economics at the University of Alaska Fairbanks School of Management for many years. Professor Reynolds has also conducted consulting and research in private industry, focusing on resource economics. Dr. Reynolds, welcome to Alaska Conversations. Thank you very much. Today, we're talking broadly about resources in Alaska, but focusing primarily on oil. I'm going to take a second to set the stage, and so forgive me for a short monologue, but it is critical for me to make this statement. This podcast is in its infancy, and it is about Alaska issues. I was dissatisfied with the outlets available to really dig into Alaska issues, and I was waiting anxiously for somebody to take the reins. I decided why not me and Alaska Conversations was born. If you enjoy the content, like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and get involved in the conversation. This effort isn't about any particular podcast, guest, or topic. It is about the conversation. It is also important to be clear on the underlying goal of this podcast, which is to facilitate the discussion between opposing sides. When we think about issues, if our recommended solution seems absolutely obvious to us, and we cannot understand why it simply isn't done that way, we are probably wrong. It could also be the case that everything you or I think we know may be wrong. So... Professor Reynolds, thank you for coming in, or I guess I've got you on the phone, but thank you very much for participating in Alaska Conversations. So tell me a little bit about yourself or let everybody know a little bit about Dr. Reynolds. Yeah, I've been a professor at the University of Alaska Fairbanks now for over 20 years, and they are in the middle of cutting, so I have done some articles and so on as a as a private citizen, only as an option to try and create some consulting options. I haven't really done any uh, consulting for a while. I used to do some consulting here and there. Uh, so that's just if they continue on the cuts. And I understand, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a whole different issue, the cuts of the university and how that's going to work out. That's a separate issue. I don't want to get into that. But knowing that they, they could have to cut, I'm just setting up the, uh, trying to set up consulting as an option. Um, but I have uh, been in other countries. I've been uh, to uh, the former Soviet Union right after the fall. I was teaching there. I uh, was in Poland and uh, some other countries. I've been in Mexico. So I've seen, and, and Norway, I was uh, two years of an exchange student in Norway. So I've seen a lot of different countries. They're oil. Uh, they're, most of these countries are oil-producing countries like Alaska. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to compare how Alaska works with how other countries have worked. Oh, I like how you put in there other producing countries. Maybe Alaska would be, would, would be a, a good owned country. Some of our, you know, at least in landmass value, but 
Um, Alaska oil is it, it's a, quite a bit different than the other states. And I think that's primarily because of our owner state model, you know, our uh, ownership model and the land ownership, how royalties are distributed, how we how we acquire money. So oil in this state is something that enters into the category of everyone has an opinion on it. It affects everybody all the time. And like I said in the monologue, it's one of those where most people have some sort of simple solution. And yeah. if they... If Alaska would just do it this way, we would usher in some sort of new uh, utopia in Alaska and everything would be great and we would have all the services that we could ever need. So, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I'd like to establish just a few things about oil. And this is for anybody who's tuning in that or that's going to listen that um, that has an understanding of oil, but maybe the terms aren't right. So there are some terms that we're going to define before the conversation. So I would like to talk about gross value, wellhead value, and perhaps uh, the price of Alaska North Slope oil versus other more known benchmarks like WTI or Brent crude. Um, yeah. So Alaska's uh, ultimately the oil gets, uh, uh, used in California, really, it should be going. It should have always gone to uh, Japan, um, <clears throat> it, because you get a slightly better value in Japan. But uh, once they set it up in uh, for California, it's it's basically kind of uh, hard to change it over to Japan because they set up all these refineries for the the type of crudes you get into California. So that's basically where it's being sold. And uh, you get a little bit of a premium for it. Um, over the over the years, it's that probably premium's gone down a little bit, but you get a little bit of a premium for it over the West Texas price. Um, however, there's a big cost to get it from the North Slope all the way down there. So the wellhead value is different than what you get in California, the so-called value. Um, and I don't know the exact numbers. I don't keep track of those numbers. Something on the order of five uh, five dollars less or ten dollars less, something along those lines, um, at the wellhead. And the, obviously, the more uh, you can fill that um, pipe, the, the better your cost. But uh, they negotiated a, a tariff, the difference in price from the wellhead to basically California a long time ago. So can't really change it too much. Um, <clears throat> so then. Uh, Let's say it's uh, let's say it's relative right now. Roughly, uh, it, it could be seventy dollars in California, but we could we might be getting say roughly sixty dollars on the on the slope at the wellhead. Just roughly, I don't know the exact numbers. I don't keep track of them every day. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you get a little less, and so you sell your quantity times that price. That's your revenue. Now you're going to subtract some costs, and then there's the royalty that goes straight to the state. And then you're going to do some sort of tax based on on the uh, revenues left over for the producers, and so that's the extraction tax or the production tax, and then um, which used to be called the severance tax. And then uh, we get that severance tax, and then uh, there's a, a profit left over, and the federal government taxes that, and so. It's a little convoluted. Usually, um, <clears throat> everything everything in uh, like uh, markets and economics and uh, you know 
buying and selling shares. They like to keep things complicated to confuse people so they can make <laughs> their money. <laughs> so if you think it's complicated, it's that's the, that's the whole point. <laughs> it's supposed to be complicated so you don't understand where you're losing or winning. Well, when it comes to Alaska's production tax, uh, just uh, objectively, I think that we have a more uh, complicated tax structure than most of the other states. And a lot of that has to do with us being an owner state. Um, first, the the royalty share, we generally receive 12.5%, I believe, uh, on state lands at least. Is that yeah. Correct? So that royalty share, is that on par with industry average or is it different? Or Yeah, you, you, do, you do a royalty. You can do a royalty in Texas to get the owner land. We'll get some sort of royalty now. That can be negotiated um, because it's a private owner, and uh, that goes directly to the owner. Then there's taxes, uh, state taxes, federal taxes, but um, they're more of a profit-oriented. Uh, you could you could change it. It's it's hard to change because everybody likes to define themselves. Well, this is our this is our pot of money, or this is your pot of money, or this goes to this uh, thing. Like the uh, some of the royalty goes exactly to the the permanent fund. So once you have all these definitions of where pots of money are going to, you, you, have, you hate to change everything. And the other thing with uh, North Slope crude is that our production numbers are quite lower than they used to be. So what is it, where are numbers, do you have an idea of where our numbers are today compared to where they, where they once were and Roughly. maybe how, how quickly they've been falling? Well, so roughly it was at 2 million barrels a day. It's down to about half a million days now. Uh, half a million barrels is still good. Um, concern was that it would gone, would have gone down to, say, 300. Uh, a half a million is 500 million or 500,000 barrels a day, and it would have gone down to 300,000 barrels a day or even lower. And then the question is, how, how low can it go? And that's another debate, debatable issue, how low it can go in the pipeline. Um, uh, so, um, but every, you know, all, all time, all kinds of places around the world, they, they go up and then they start going down. Now they can go up again when there's uh, specific changes like opening up new regions or maybe a specific technological change. Now, when you think of Texas, Texas has been open up for a long time. So why did their uh, production go way up? Well, they had this new technology, shell, shell oil. And so you say, oh, we can, we can use shell oil in, in Alaska. Well, actually, using shell oil in Texas is, uh, is possible because there, there's a lot of gas with the shell oil, and you have to be able to sell that gas, or you have to flare it. And not just that, uh, they, they use the gas, and they have an uh, extensive pipeline system already set up that uh, you're never far away from a, from a major pipeline to get uh, hooked in although they, they are constrained a little bit lately. Um, but the, the thing about it is when you're looking for this shell, you're often going to find gas. And so if you're, if you're doing a lot of drilling to find this resource and all you're finding is gas, you're, you're wasting a lot of money in Alaska because you can't sell the gas. You can't do anything with it. So it inhibits that exploration effort, whereas in Texas, you'll explore because if, if you find gas, well, that's okay. We can sell it. And they had really high prices around the turn of the uh, new millennium. Um, so those those high prices incentivized a lot of that shell 
uh, exploration. Then when they finally started finding where uh, more of the oil resources were, then they could exploit that. But even then, they still had a lot of gas and they'd still want to sell it. Um, so that makes it different than Alaska. So there, there's, it's not just convoluted taxes that make this different. There's other, there's other physical aspects, plus the cold, plus the ice, plus the, the ice roads issue. That's another issue you can get into, the, the whole ice roads issue. Um, so it's, it's, it's complicated. And for us, we're, when we look at uh, what we've been doing since about 2006, we've, we've really got a net profits tax. So some of the shale plays, New Mexico, Texas, Colorado, North Dakota, etc., they generally do a tax, as far as I know, that's on the gross value or wellhead value of the oil. In Alaska, we do it differently. We have it on net profits. So the state is sharing some of the cost risk associated with exploration, I believe, on the slope. Uh, yeah, I <clears throat> I haven't looked at it too closely, how, how, how it all falls down, how their taxes differ, differ for our taxes. I would definitely want to look at it again. And um, now there is the there is also the tax credit, um, which is, is again another issue. It's I, the idea is to incentivize new drilling, getting new wells. Although um, when they first put it in, uh, a lot of it had to do with oh, we're going to match Texas. Well, Texas is doing shale oil. You really can't do shale oil until you get a natural gas market set up on the north slope and that won't be for some time so it's going to be hard to do shell oil just in general um but but then there's the uh, uh well there's other issues with the with the uh the, the tax credits but as far as the um how you how you tax it it shouldn't matter that much you, you should be able to adjust it sometimes you like it to be complicated to incentivize things sometimes you like it to be simple um and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's an issue. Well, we'll step back a little bit from the the precise taxes, etc. There is a, an argument going around, or there's a discussion going around. It happens every time that oil companies are releasing uh, quarterly quarterly uh, returns announcements to investors. It's said that oil Oil companies are finding their largest profits, their greatest par- profit margins in Alaska. So, do you know if if oil companies really are finding their greatest profit margins on the North Slope, or is, is there a reason that that it looks that way? Well, um, I would my you know I don't look into it that closely to really compare the the tax structures and see how they're different. But in general, it look, does look like the, 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 the profits are higher here than in other states, and it should be compared. And so then the question is, well, you know, we had a vote on this in, what, what 014, I guess it was, on um, the tax change, and then uh, they're thinking about doing a new vote on a new tax. So that's fine. You wonder, though, why, why hasn't the uh, legislator looked at it? the legislative uh, sessions all these years, not just under this governor, but uh, the previous governor, why haven't they looked at these taxes? So um, what you have to remember is there's uh, one other issue that's 
kind of unseen underneath all this that's uh, playing at least some role, maybe not the, the whole role, but some role. And that is uh, Cook Inlet uh, exploration. Cook Inlet natural gas, because it is a mineral, so it's under a mineral rights, uh, Alaska mineral rights and taxes, just the same, only its value is much less uh, because it's natural gas than uh, the North Slope. But nevertheless, it's under these uh, this uh, tax regime, and the tax credit incentivized the Cook Inlet uh, exploration. So back in 2013, uh, Anchorage was in a crisis because they were running out of natural gas and the pressure was going down. And one of the objects of this tax credit was to uh, incentivize additional uh, exploration and it, it also incentivized exploration in the Cook Inlet, and now they have more gas. So it's kind of a uh, quote-unquote subsidy, uh, like a subsidy for the natural gas situation in the Anchorage area. That is, the point of the tax credits is to make sure Anchorage keeps uh, its natural gas supplies uh, abundant. Well, uh, there are other ways of doing that without having the tax credits. You could uh, put a small bore pipe, not a big pipeline, a small bore pipeline from the North Slope down to Anchorage, and it would uh, help uh, development in a lot of the state. But uh, I think the Anchorage uh, legislators like the, the way it works for them because they get a better benefit for them. It's uh, maybe a cost at the, for the rest of the state, but a benefit for the Anchorage area. Well, yeah, you're in, you're in, in Fairbanks suffering through a uh, lack of, lack of natural gas and myself out in Bristol Bay where we don't have any access to natural gas. There is a statewide there, there disproportionately some infrastructure has been built in, especially in South Central compared to other regions of the state where we're just missing out on some of that infrastructure. But there are costs to getting that natural gas, even a small bore, environmental concerns, and, and et cetera, that, are, that play into that, I believe. Yeah, I mean, uh, Canada's done a lot of these. Um, if you do the cost, you, you could uh, do it. You could get it either halfway to Fairbanks or all the way to Anchorage, um, you could, uh, if you went halfway to anchor uh, to Fairbanks, and it would only be 18 inches, not these uh, 20. I don't know. They were talking about 30 inch, or of course the big one was 48 inch. Nothing that big, just a small bore for in-state use. Um, you can do it and get uh, both propane and natural gas, so you get uh, a lot more BTUs in each um, uh, inch, and uh, you could get halfway to Fairbanks and at least supply Fairbanks. And then if you needed more in uh, Anchorage, you could finish the project to Anchorage. You would still want uh, uh, Cook Inlet uh, exploration and production, and you'd still want to use coal. And I, and I, I don't mind saying that you can use coal. And you, I think using coal is okay. I, by the way, I have a, a coal boiler in my yard. I don't use it now, but I was using it. Um, that that way uh, you get more diversity of the energy supply. Well, I I didn't mean to uh, laugh a little bit about the coal, coal boiler. I was just just making sure that uh, nobody's getting too upset. It's not like you're you're trying to destroy the world. It's just it's something that's available to you, and that's what you're using to heat to to heat or do whatever it is that you're doing. So, 
I'm sure that you're that you're not um, intentionally trying to destroy the earth. Well, you know, um, it's a good thing to talk about. Um, I just went to a conference, talked all about uh, global warming. Now, if you've been to India, I've been to India, I've been to China, been to Mexico, uh, uh, and these developing areas where they they need what they need is development, right? They're they're poor, they're you know uh, living hand to mouth, that kind of thing, and they need development, and they're using coal, and it's cheap, and it works really well. Now. Uh, we can maybe reduce our use of energy, uh, non-renewable fossil fuels in Alaska, but it's so limited the amount that we would save. We have to be also considerate of, uh, you know, people getting cold and people uh, and and pollution. That is, uh, you know, coal can be actually, uh, as far as particulates, can actually be very quite clean. Of, of course, uh, natural gas is very clean. I like natural gas. And propane can be very clean, and it and we can get it to a lot of places. Um, I just think a diversity and specific needs for specific locations uh, can work. Um, what's great about the coal use up here in Fairbanks, and actually they could do it in Anchorage. I know Anchorage would hate it, but they they could do it. They could build a big power plant right in downtown Anchorage, and you get a lot of heat. I mean, that's what they do in Poland. They have big power plants, and they they send the heat. It's coal powered. And the heat and the power, so you're actually getting uh, with one carbon atom, two two uses, the heat and the power. They could do it in downtown Anchorage. It'd really help. We do it in downtown Fairbanks, and we do it on our campus, uh, UAF campus. So I know it sounds really bad, and we're trying to save the world, um, but you know you have to be at least somewhat flexible in situations where uh, you know it is cold and you do need heat. Well, I'm going I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about that here in just a second, but let me circle back to to oil real quick, something that that I don't have an answer to. So Prudhoe Bay, we started producing oil and we were producing twenty five percent of the country's oil. Now we're producing about four percent of the country's oil and we're sixth largest producer probably in the country. Um there's only a, a few things that could have happened. Number one, we could deplete the we could have depleted the resources. Our our resource could be almost gone. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case when you look at reserves, but I do know that uh, fields have declining production values. The other thing is that our tax structure isn't very attractive, or it could be that just other locations are better placed. Do you have an idea of one of the three, which one is probably playing the larger role or is it just combination? No, that's a really good question. And again, people are really confused about what is oil. Shale oil is different than conventional oil. So our conventional oil, it's gone down, sure. And it's gone down on a fairly, not a particularly quick rate and they're still finding some more, but you can't do shale oil in Alaska. And they're doing shale oil in Texas and shell oil in uh, North Dakota. And so I keep seeing this, and it disturbs me to no end. Oh, Alaska isn't keeping up with Texas. Well, they're doing shell oil. You can't do it in Alaska because in order to do it, you have to be looking and you have to be able to market your natural gas because you're going to find a lot of natural gas when you're doing that. And as you find this natural gas, it 
costs a lot and you find the natural gas and you can't sell it. So you're wasting all your effort. So you're not going to do shell oil in Alaska. It just won't work until we get a big pipeline. And by the way, we're not going to be able to compete very easily with the, even the Gulf of Mexico with, uh, with LNG, liquid natural gas. And so, so I, I don't want to get into that issue yet. Okay. But just look at the oil. Uh, it, it, it's only natural that if everybody's doing shell oil and they're expanding that uh, we're not able to do that shell oil. We had to do the conventional kind, and it's, it's on a slow decline, just like Texas conventional oil is on a slow decline. So you hadn't you haven't looked uh, too in, uh, in depth at some of the other tax structures in some of the other states, but do you have an idea, or have you heard whether we're on par with our tax rates, higher, lower, or well, I think I think it's definitely too low. I think they should look at it, but again, the Anchorage area uh, legislators aren't going to look at it because they like the fact that it has the tax credits that keep uh, the Anchorage area residents uh, full of natural gas. So that's kind of the, the situation. Yeah, they should look at it. And I don't know, the uh, the actual vote on this actual change might be okay, but it leaves some of the tax credits. I think it should be a straight tax for everybody. Um, it should be looked at. It should be a little higher. I think it's, uh, but that's not the reason we're at 4%. The reason we're at 4% is because they can do shell oil. We can't. And so when they're, when they're doing shale oil, really as they are uh, exploring, the natural gas is offsetting some of their costs of exploration, which is a huge cost to some of the oil companies, is what I understand a little bit there. Yeah, exactly. And so that would incentivize more drilling uh, and more production. Second thing... Yeah, you, yep. you have to remember the natural gas price in the lower 48 was really high from about 05 until 010. And... So they just were desperate for natural gas, and they drilled, and they started finding the shell gas, and they had pipelines in existence. So um, you just had to connect out to another pipeline, and you could start uh, drilling. And even uh, North Dakota, which is mostly oil, they weren't far from a natural gas pipeline. So if they had found natural gas there, they knew they could uh, start sending it over to the, the pipeline that went to from uh, Alberta to Chicago. So that fact that they could incentivize the gas and then eventually they found more where the oil was was more to do with everything than whatever tax bracket they had well there's one thing uh, we're talking about some of the oil tax credits we have a ballot initiative coming up that's going to put in front of the voters a decision one of the things that uh, just for a clarification when we're looking at oil tax credits we're not paying the oil companies, I don't believe. What I understand is that those tax credits are offsetting the tax liabilities, so we can offset tax liabilities down to zero, but we don't go into the negative rates. But perhaps you have a different understanding. Well, that's true. What you're saying is technically true, but you can uh, transfer the, the that credit in terms of money for somebody to drill. So it's basically incentivized drilling, which is fine. Um, but Really, what they're incentivizing is a lot of drilling in Cook Inlet as well as the North Slope. And uh, so I don't think you necessarily need those tax credits. All you need is a straight tax. You should look at it. You should, you should uh, uh, 
uh, get the experts in and, and, you know, compare it and so on. That's what they should do, but they haven't done it. And it's been what, 10 years. And the reason they haven't done it, not quite 10 years, but the reason they haven't done it is because, um, they like the tax credits. They like the fact that there's incentives for, for the cook inlet drilling. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big misunderstanding is that those, the tax incentives frequently, uh, are, are geared towards Cook Inlet. And we oftentimes forget about the, I mean, South Central legislators or individuals will call the Cook Inlet natural gas play, you know, a Cook Inlet renaissance or something like that. We often mm-hmm. forget that about the Cook Inlet play, and I, I think that's a really great point that people should keep in mind. Um, additionally, just before the podcast, I looked up Texas's production tax, and uh, Texas has a 4.6%, which is a little bit higher than our minimum. So a lot of our taxes, when we have the tax incentives or the tax credits, we have a tax rate of 35% of the net profit. So Texas and Alaska are already not comparable because one's gross and one's net. But then our tax credits go to the oil companies and they will offset the value or the amount that's owed to a minimum, and usually that minimum is like 4% or 3%, 2%, depending on the value. Um, we have had a lot of tax changes, and Texas has had their production uh, tax in place since 1951, and so it's a much more stable environment. You have a lot of experiences overseas. Do you, do you find Alaska is a very stable tax environment? Should it be a stable tax environment? Is there anything that we could do, or are we kind of – on par with other oil producing areas. Well, that's that's a good question. It always comes up. I'm not convinced that uh, changing taxes slightly is like the biggest deal in the world, although they they claim it. Um, so Norway has kept theirs. It's it's relatively high. They kept it intact, and and their their production went down, and the the uh, exploration probably has gone down. I don't know if they did have one new uh, exploration uh, success lately, but um, I don't think, you know, and they, they've tried to keep it because of that very issue, but they've kept it high and stable rather than going up and down. In fact, what, what I find is uh, when, when the next tax comes along and it's rather high, they say, oh, you can't do that because it disincentivized uh, the exploration. But then when we um, uh, once it's, uh, uh, once they say, well, let's, let's lower it. They never say, oh, you can't lower it because that'll, um, cause a change. You know, that'll, uh, that'll mean you're changing the taxes again and we don't want to have them change. No, they would never say that. <laughs> they're always saying, oh, if you're going to lower it, that helps us. But then when they're, they're high, oh, if you're making it higher, that means you're changing the business environment. So they come up with a convoluted argument one way, but it's a different argument the other way. So, I mean, you could, you could run numbers, but, uh, I would, I would, I would guess it's, it's a lot less of a deal, big deal than, than everybody's saying. If you want, if you want a really, uh, bad, uh, business environment, you know, Venezuela could be it where they've nationalized things, but you know, most countries around the world have nationalized, uh, their, their operations. And then they bring in new, uh, you know, help, you know, we couldn't do that so easily because we're under us law. It's much harder 
you wouldn't have a, it'd be a pretty hard deal to have a, a state government run entity. Not that we don't have those, but it'd be a little harder to do. And you'd have to bring in uh, the oil companies to, to do the searching, do, to run different operations. Well, there, there seems to be a, some group that would like to see the state take over the natural gas pipeline. Would that fall under the category of nationalized or is that uh, a different structure? Well, then, then you could do that. You could you could have a state owned and run just like a state port authority. Uh, chances are, this any any big natural gas pipeline, a big one that is, would would lose money. A small one, uh, it, it should do okay. But uh, I'm talking 18 inch, 100 bcf a year, whereas these big ones are four bcf a day. Um, the and the LNG project. You're competing with the world on that project. Now, you might be able to get a long-term contract from, say, Japan or even China. Uh, the way that the U.S. and China is going, you, you can't trust China. Not that they aren't trustworthy. It's just that because of all this uh, infighting, you got to be careful with China. And then Japan, you could you could probably get a long-term contract, but it won't be it won't be. Uh, full the whole time that is they have their seasons of high need and seasons of low need so it's it's uh, going to be hard to be cost competitive getting to, to japan even compared to the gulf of mexico you can get around through the panama canal although that's uh, lately been hard to get through if the panama if the panama canal is working you can get through from the gulf of mexico to japan cheaper than building a pipeline here and getting to japan well it's uh it's a nice transition to something else that's interesting. Um, when we're talking about, okay, LNG, and we can perhaps find a buyer in Asian markets, that would be dependent on long-term contracts, as you mentioned. And those long-term contrast contracts are based on some negotiated price. Well, we usually predict oil, uh, oil prices at the state level. Uh, we use that to guide where we're headed with our policy. And I would make the argument that futures are a terrible predictor of future prices. Um, and, and so what I mean by that is Japan, if, if the spot price of LNG is $3, there's not a lot of incentive of making it, uh, of locking in a contract at $20. It doesn't, but that's not reflective of the price possibly going to twenty dollars. So today, there's very little incentive for somebody to write a futures contract at eighty or ninety dollars a barrel, especially not at one hundred and ten. But that is trying to predict a future price with current conditions, and there's just very little incentive to write those contracts to predict future oil prices. Does that make any sense, or am oh I yeah, off? yeah. No, uh, most people aren't, aren't, you know, there's some contracts out, say five, 10 years, but there are very few contracts. And the only ones that do it are, I don't know, not just speculators. There's maybe a few refineries or airlines or something, but very few people are, are making those kinds of contracts. Now with LNG, it used to be you'd have 10, 20 year contracts and Japan did it a lot because they wanted to make sure they had the supply and it was hard to build these systems up. Um, now they're trying to make it more competitive. It's very, uh, it's it's very hard to get a long run contract for for LNG um, at a higher price. LNG goes for what, say, say in the Gulf at 
three to five dollars per NCF compared to, and and that's it's hard to compare uh, natural gas to oil because they're at different price levels and different uh, densities. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's 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 going to be a challenge to get a long run. You almost need a long run price uh, contract and, and LNG to, to to make anything work now. And oil, nobody's doing that. They very few, rarely do that, and you get surprised. Um, and it and I I think we're in for a surprise. We probably could be in this uh, surprise with the oil price in 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 Alaska's favor, obviously, if it goes up. Correct, and that, so that's one of the things I like to. Keep in mind, I'm glad that you clarif- clarified some of that up for some of the industry. I would have I would have found that to be the opposite between LNG and oil, but um, I'm, I'm glad that you clarified that a little bit. Now, the other thing that one of the sides will say as we move into more and more of the oil debate is that Alaska really needs to start preparing for a post-oil Alaska. And couple of problems with that. Number one, I'm just wondering what you think a post-oil Alaska would maybe look like. But a second thing to keep in mind is that the state doesn't have a uh, statewide sales tax. We don't have a statewide sales tax. And without either one of those two, it's uh, it's very hard to, to have an industry grow and have it actually benefit the state. Yeah, um, there's a good uh, article about that. Uh, there's some things to do in Alaska to develop economically, specifically mining. Now, I know it's controversial, but I, I like the miners. I think they do a good job. Uh, sure, there's uh, cases here and there that you could uh, better regulate, but I think in general, the mining industry is a good one. Now, high tech is going to be hard to bring in or factories, but any of these other uh industries that you try and bring in um, and you don't have an oil base or you have less and less of an oil base, even even still have oil. Uh, if you, if you add these industries, you add people and, and then you add service, you need services and roads and main, maintenance and all this stuff. And you're still basing everything on an oil tax. I mean, that just doesn't work. Usually you have at least some income tax when there's more people, there's more income. When there's less people, there's less income. And so the, the income tax or uh, maybe a sales tax or a value-added tax of some sort um, will, will match the growth and, and decline of any other industry so that you'll have the, the government resources to maintain everything, schools and all, all sorts of other things. Um, and Alaska is a challenging location. We did get used to those oil taxes. Very challenging geog- geographic location. Um, uh, and uh, people want to be where they want to be. I understand that. But then these costs are much higher the, the more separated you are, especially in villages and certainly even in Fairbanks. But, um, uh you, you, you know, you, you kind of want to match the, all those uh, costs and needs with at least some sort of different different tax regimen. With oil, uh, there's a significant, significant number of people that are really anxious and anticipating uh, growth in, in oil production. Moving us from five hundred thousand to maybe eight hundred or nine hundred thousand nine hundred thousand barrels a day. If some of our most most recent finds can come online, people are excited about Anwar. 
etc. I take a little bit different view. I will be delightfully surprised if our oil production recovers. I'm not so sure that Alaska is in an environment anymore where it is attractive for companies to produce oil. Some of that is because of the shale, and some of that has to do with other companies. Um, Goldman Sachs wants to get, you know, divest from developing oil here in the Seattle area. They want to completely ban natural gas inside of their community. Um, Barclays wants retirement accounts to be divested from oil, and I believe that there's a few other large banks that finance these projects. And Alaska is not a very large producer anymore, so it is the you know the the opportunity cost of not investing in Alaska is not as large as it used to be. You're not really missing out on anything. Well, I agree. We're probably not going to be, you know, another uh, Saudi Arabia, but it might maintain the, the, the level might maintain and we probably can keep the pipeline open and the production, it might go up a little bit and then go down. And if, if it's on Anwar or the, uh, National Petroleum Reserve, that's federal land, so it's under federal. Uh, we get a little bit of money from it, but not as much as we get on the state land. So, I mean, yeah, you have to you have to start preparing for less revenues on that side. Even if the production can stay steady or improve a little bit, you're, you're getting less taxes from these other lands. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we should uh, we should start thinking now. What, what helped, you know, what, when you think about the history of the U.S., what really helped create, you know, a powerful uh, economy out of it all? And, and that's infrastructure. Uh, the railroads really in the 1800s were really big and, and just connecting the country, creating all kinds of opportunities uh, for factories to get their goods and setting up factories and all this stuff. Well, I don't think we need any more roads or railroads in Alaska, but we, but energy is really expensive and people don't understand it, that you could, you could bring a small bore pipeline and get it to Fairbanks and you could get a lot more energy and you could get a lot more development and mining development for the entire state. Now that's not direct benefit to Anchorage, but it's, you know, indirect and it starts building up the state and you get other things. You have more room to expand Outside of Anchorage, Anchorage is kind of penned in a little bit. So if, if you really want expansion, you really want to do some things, you you need to get outside of Anchorage. And certainly Fairbanks has room and there's the bases. But getting some energy that's cheap, that's, you know, everybody says they want to, let's get a new industry in. Let's bring in some this or that. Energy. Well, how much is it going to cost and how much is the energy going to cost? That's the thing. Yeah, the energy costs are, are going to be enormous. I would put some of our mining projects that would bring potential infrastructure. Uh, the Pebble-Donlin corridor would probably bring in some infrastructure, at least for some of the villages in the lake region and throughout some of the YK Delta. However, I... I put some of these projects, not Donlin so much, but especially Pebble, I put that in the category of Anwar where I just don't, even if we can, even if we pass uh, regulations and EIS goes through and all of these different things, I don't think that there is a national uh, appetite for developing the, those types of projects. Uh, I think Pebble would be, I think a lot of the people that would be using the, the ore from Pebble 
would just refuse to to receive it and we'd continue to receive our or they would continue to buy from Chile and and other places. Well, um yeah, you you're right like uh the whole uh, not developing Anwar thing. <clears throat> but you, there's other people with money and they'll invest if they think is if there's profit to be made, they'll invest. Um gosh, I know they were talking about uh, Dubai company coming up and doing this um, LNG over the over the pole. Now I don't think I don't think it'll work great, but they might try it and see if uh, because the, there's still too much ice during the, the middle of the season, and I don't think they can break out very easily. But they were talking about LNG over the pole from Alaska, and Dubai was doing it. You know these these companies from around the world, they'll come here, they'll develop it. So it's a question of regulatory uh, rules, and I think you can make these things done uh, cleanly and uh, responsibly, um, but that's just my opinion. Uh, and I think there'll be financing, and I think uh, I think you can get get things done. The Alaska does have a, a relatively strict regulatory environment as far as how friendly we are to the environment per se. Uh, one example would be having a subsistence board in association with Red Dog Mine. I mean, that's an extremely unique uh, power setup that I think probably is likely the only one in the in the world where you have a subsistence board, which which is going to inform some of the decisions made by Red Dog, etc. And that that's a neat thing about Alaska. Yeah, there's there's those unique things. The the uh, native corporations are unique, but uh, that I don't know exactly how that set up that board. But that's exactly the kinds of things you need. You need innovation in in uh, local control. Now, the the pebble mine is obviously a problem because uh, if it breaks, it goes down into the salmon, um, the Bristol Bay salmon area, I guess it was, and those two. Uh, uh, well, they're two different uh, boroughs, actually. So one, and it's, and of course, maybe different tribes, but they're different boroughs. So the borough that's going to get the brunt of the of everything going wrong is is, in a, is one borough, and then the borough that's going to get the brunt of everything goes right is in a different borough. So they can't cross fertilize each other very well. You'd almost like it to be one one borough that way. Everybody in the borough advan- it gets the advantage if it. If it goes right, and everybody in the borough gets the disadvantage in terms of cost, anyway. Uh, if everything goes wrong, yeah, I don't think it'll go wrong, but um, you know, there's always that chance, just like Exxon Valdez. But I don't think that that the Exxon Valdez crash happened. I don't think that means everybody in Alaska hates oil. I think they still love oil, and they're glad we had have had an oil industry, even though we had the Exxon Valdez spill. Um, so. Well, there's, I mean, in, in the, the fishing industry has somewhat recovered uh, from Exxon Valdez, and, and the company has, has uh, been settling that for, for decades now, and we just want to make sure that not another one of those happen. It's interesting when you talk about, so the when we're talking about Pebble, we're talking the Lake and Penn Borough combined with the Bristol Bay Borough, Bristol Bay Borough, first borough formed in Alaska. By the guidance or the brainchild of Jay Hammond, who everybody knows the Jay Hammond story, the Bristol Bay Borough is going to 
annex is the fish. They they're not going to see any benefit necessarily from Pebble, where the Lake and Penborough would would receive quite a bit of money. And then you have uh, the largest community in Bristol Bay, Dillingham, which is Dillingham, which is not in a borough, and so uh, that's the complexity of the the uh, Pebble argument. So there should be ways of, of, of innovatively dealing with, and I'm sure there are. I haven't, I haven't studied that issue too closely. Um, so I know it's hard, um, but I think, you know, innovation could, could work. Well, you also had a article that's it's where I, I came up with the idea of us doing the podcast. You had an article that you wrote in ADN, which I, I found really interesting because you were – it's not only that you were calling out Goldman Sachs for uh, kind of their their signaling to the environmental crowd, but also that a lot of times these companies that are doing that aren't necessarily accomplishing anything. So yeah. could you could you talk a little bit about what you, what Goldman was talking about doing and and the recommendations you gave to them? Sure. Well, you know, I don't know exactly why they would even. Uh, uh, select uh, Arctic oil as being anything worse than any other oil um, or shale oil for that matter. Um, But anyways, uh, maybe it's because of the polar bears or maybe it's the um, caribou. Um, And, you know, they can, they can drill for oil under a, a long distance. I don't think they would have any problems. The caribou would have no problem. In fact, Several decades ago, they were going to put uh, reindeer where the uh, where that North Slope area is on Anwar um, <laughs> as a way of development. So I think oil would do a lot less damage to the uh, reindeer, uh, rain, the caribou herds, than having a reindeer herd there. So um, as far as Goldman Sachs, I mean, it's it's obviously more about publicity than actual. You'll get people investing, I think, in Anwar from all over, from Dubai or China or all over the place and different things. So I don't think we have to worry about Goldman Sachs per se. But if they're really, you know, going to call out somebody, why not call out Amazon? Doesn't Amazon, because you're buying things online and you're having it shipped one, at, one piece at a time rather than going to your local store where they're shipping in everything at one time and they're saving on the shipping cost and the carbon cost of the shipping per item, you know, why don't they go against uh, Amazon? But of course, they'll never do that. They probably make money with Amazon and the Amazon companies, uh, companies surrounding Amazon. So great, they make money. That's what they're supposed to do. But if they're into the environmental movement, they should really look at, you know, specific issues that really could uh, help. Now, I suggested they should locate to... Um, Fairbanks, Alaska, because they could take their corporate jets quickly and easy to Southeast Asia or Europe, whichever way they wanted to go, probably shorter trips than where where they're going from New York, and if they have to go in two different uh, directions, and uh, then they would uh, benefit from the uh, coal power that gives heat and power at the same time, and uh, they could put their... uh, all their computer servers on the North Slope and uh, do their trading, their uh, uh, com- 
computerized trading that happens without a lot of input. And there might be a connection soon or somewhat of a connection all the way over the pole from uh, Europe to uh, Asia. And they could tie into that. So that was just an idea. Well, it's absolutely incredible with Amazon um, out here in Bristol Bay. Obviously, everything's flown or barged in. And um, Amazon Prime member and Amazon Sometimes I can't get a notebook shipped to me if I want a notebook because it's unavailable. But I did get four tires for my pickup shipped to me <laughs> free of charge. I don't know how they can possibly do that. But I got four <laughs> tires delivered, no shipping charges whatsoever, right to my door. Unbelievable. That's amazing. <laughs> so so with... Uh, with our oil industry, one of the things I would say is that our oil industry oftentimes seems to be understood by everybody, but nobody. everybody has a very simple solution for our oil industry. One thing that we should all be able to agree on is that we absolutely need oil right now because I don't know what a diversified Alaska would look like. We've talked about some of the potentials, but... There's nothing that's going to come in tomorrow and start diversifying our economy, I don't think. That's exactly right. Uh, I believe in the oil industry, and there's probably more options there, and especially offshore. And there will be natural gas. I mean, eventually, we'll we'll develop it. Uh, It might be 10, 20 years from now. It's always always been, well, in 10 or 20 years, we'll do it. Uh, I think eventually it'll it'll be a, a factor. And then, yeah, Goldman Sachs isn't going to move to Fairbanks anytime soon, um, or even, <laughs> or even Anchorage. But um, uh, you're right. So just it's it's a hard transition. It always is. Uh, I was in Kazakhstan. They're having a hard time. They're very oil dependent, uh, even though they have other industries. They have coal. Um, but you know, you just uh, you you slowly make uh, changes as you can and keep the industry going as you can. And then, uh, you know, some other things as it looks viable, set them up and do them. And, uh, you know, it, it's a hard transition. No doubt about it. No, no doubt about it. I, one area where I think I disagree, but there's no reason, and this is just me disagreeing with you. I don't have any evidence for, for this, etc. Just my gut tells me that, the more that we change the oil taxes, the more that the companies would think about leaving. You've made a, a great case for the reason why that might not be. Um, and I started the monologue by, by saying that sometimes the things that we think we know, we don't actually know. And in this particular one, I don't think that, that uh, we know exactly how an oil company is going to respond to a change in, in taxes. No, you don't. You don't actually know. And 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 the other problem we have compared to Texas, uh, besides the shale oil thing, is they do have a lot more companies. So, and it's a little. It's a lot easier to start up there. Whereas on the North Slope, you you have once in a while, uh, you have a lot of small companies uh, helping the the big companies, and, you, and even Hill Corp comes up there. That'll be the big company then. The, the small uh, um, service companies go in and help, but they're not the ones that are. Uh, doing the overarching 
financing of any big project. Once in a while that happens with a small company, they'll finance and go for a new project. Then often what they do is they sell out because everything is uh, centered on Prudhoe Bay and the um, conditioning plant and the oil conditioning plant there and then getting into the pipeline. So you have to work with that conditioning plant before you can get it into the pipeline. So any new oil basically has to go in through Prudhoe Bay and get conditioned and so on. Um, otherwise, it's too cost costly to do it independently and get it just directly into the into the pipeline. Um, so that means inevitably it's the two big players, whoever those players happen to be at the time, that are kind of running things. And when you have two players, you get a little less competition. So that's that is one aspect, and it's hard to change the fact that you'll have two big players. Exxon is a kind of a third player, but they really don't do that much with the the um, uh, Point Thompson, and they're not doing too much yet with it. They they just sell into the normal Prudhoe Bay situation. Maybe they'll get the gas over the over the pole thing going, but um, it it does make it slightly different than Texas. So that's more of a concern than the taxes. I, I think they go with an even tax, and yeah, don't change it, but don't keep it at what it's at now. Okay, well, um, when when we're looking at Alaska in general, I think that the it becomes the poster child for for climate change. We have some great examples of communities that are being devastated by a changing climate, etc. And we're also a long ways away from markets, and so it becomes an easy an easy target for companies to say, look, that is uh, not very responsible development. We should be, and, and then focus their efforts in Oklahoma where things are cheaper, etc. So all of this is to say, do you see us being able to develop future resources responsibly in this state? Or do we need to take a little bit different approach to how we develop things? Well, I uh, there, there's two two issues. Obviously, are you going to have carbon at all? And, and you really, it, it's going to be a a big hard changeover to get away from any kind of carbon. It's really going to be much harder than people are are expecting. And by the way, electric cars up in the cold are really hard to use. The the cold affects the electric um, uh, batteries more than other places. Um, now maybe some of the newer batteries they they don't, but um, so uh, being responsible in the sense of carbon, uh, I think I think we are responsible uh, in the sense of any other pollutant and any other uh, problems and wildlife issues. I think we're very responsible. Um, as far as carbon's concerned, I don't think anybody's responsible. I, and and uh, you know. You go to New York and you see everybody driving around, and you go to these LA and they're still driving around. And they say, "Well, we we don't want to drive as much." Well, they're driving, and um, you know. So whether we're driving it to our little mine to get some gold doesn't mean we're destroying the earth any more than uh, if you're driving to your IT job in San Francisco, you're destroying the earth. Um, so. You could just as equally say that uh, 
The Silicon Valley is irresponsible, as you could say, is Alaska is irresponsible. Um, but I think we do, we are responsible and we do it, you know, responsibly with wildlife, with other pollutants. Carbon's a, a big issue. It's going to be hard to change. And, and by the way, I, I know on the North Slope, I know I've been to Barrow and, uh, I can't say it, Akiyavik. Um, yeah. Um, they, they are getting washed in and they have to put burns up to stop the storms that are bigger now. So they might have to move or they might have to put uh, bigger burn berms uh, or uh, dikes or something or levees around it to, to keep the water from coming in. Or they could move it more inland. Uh, it's going to be expensive. They could do it slowly over time. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of, uh, of Alaskan native, especially uh, co- coastal areas, but other places too, will have to change, and that's expensive. But we're not causing that. I mean, if you've ever been to India or you've ever been to, you know, South America or these other places, they're using coal because they have to develop. So I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Oh, and we still have an entire the entire. Most of the continent of Africa, that is, especially those without access to the coastline, which is relatively undeveloped, and they're going—they're not going to be able to skip a step. They're—they're they're going to have to continue to use uh, carbon-based energy in order to develop. Uh, even, even with all of the donations in the world, the infrastructure—you can't leap over—you can't leap the infrastructure. I noticed that. I spent time in Afghanistan and. And, uh, and I think Alaska has some of this going on, too, where um, Alaska has basically been around after the advent of the airplane as far as large, uh, large-scale development where we started settle- more, more uh, people moving in, more migration into Alaska. And so we didn't develop the same infrastructure as would have happened somewhere else. We were large or we were not a state when the interstate compact uh, law passed Congress. And so we didn't get the same calculation as the rest of the lower 48 did. Uh, All of those things play a role. And so the underdeveloped world or the undeveloped world, we're not going to be able to skip directly towards, uh, today's technologies because the rest of their infrastructure won't develop in a way that will allow their economies to grow in order to sustain that sort of development is my, my initial guess on that. Yeah, I think so. Well, today my guess has been professor Reynolds and I enjoyed the conversation. I love talking oil. I hope that we will have a chance to talk other resource issues into the future. And I've, Really, really appreciate it. Is there any place that uh, somebody somebody can find you? Obviously, through the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I don't know if you have anything else out there uh, where people can look you up. Yeah, I mean, the, you can contact me at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Uh, all that uh, information's on the web, and then I do have a, a separate email just because I'm trying to think about being a consultant. So it's uh, ffdbr at yahoo.com. So you know. Either one, it's fine. Well, I'll be putting up uh, your article that you wrote in ADN. I'll put that on our website, alaskaconversations.com. And I appreciate it. Have a great day, Professor Reynolds. 
Yeah, thank you for uh, contacting me and, and doing this with me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I hope to have you back. Yeah.